Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The lack of empathy. These women need to get over themselves. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, an awful lot to do today. Oh, what a busy day. And the morning, look out at that. I mean, every time Neff would open their mouth, you get weathered like that. Or is it just me? But they issued their letter last night, was discussed late into the night by the three amigos, Michal, Leo and Eamon. And Stephen was reading the letter to them and this morning they're all meeting and it's, it's, it's nervous times. I think I feel particularly for anybody who has booked entertainment this jazz weekend. And look, you can feel... Right or wrongly, you can feel whether it should go ahead, whether it should not, whether we should keep going with the restrictions as they are, whether we should not. You can feel as you wish. But for anybody who's booked acts and booked entertainment for a venue this weekend, for anyone who's got a gig booked for themselves, musician, artist, DJ, you you got to feel for them this morning with a couple of days to the Jazz Festival. Here's what the Taoiseach reminder again, what he was saying going into Cabinet. We are in a much different position to that of last year. We have reopened significant sectors of society uh, with um, significant impact on our economy to the better. Uh, and I think we need to protect all of that uh, and we need to proceed with caution um, over the next number of months uh, to defeat this um, virus. It does appear that Neffet says within its rather long letter that the nightclubs could open, but there'd have to be some restrictions in place. Now, I was speaking before the programme this morning, before we came on air, to Adam Higgins, a political correspondent of the Irish Sun. I'll let you hear that in a moment. Later on this morning, talking to Dr Chris Luke. He's got a book out about his life in medicine, or as he calls it, Life in Trauma. It's a remarkable story of quite a remarkable career. And if you've been working from home all these months, did you know you were entitled to claim expenses? Yes, you were. Maybe you haven't been claiming expenses. Well, 
perhaps you should look at doing that. John Lowe, Money Doctor, will be on with me later on to tell you how you might go about it. There's a few quid to be had off your tax bill if you have been working from home. The, the claim process might be a little bit complex, but John will explain it all later. But as I said, with reference to today's meeting of the Cabinet, which is on, has just started and I imagine the tea and biscuits are just being brought in. Uh, I spoke before we came on air to Adam Higgins, political correspondent of the Irish Sun. Adam, they're skipping a step this time because it's not gone to the COVID committee. The advice of Neffet is going straight to the cabinet. Do we know or have we any account of what they've actually said other than be cautious? Yeah, from what I understand last night is Neffet sent advice to Minister Donnelly, the health minister, and he then briefed the three government leaders who had a special meeting to discuss this all before the cabinet sits to make a final decision this morning. And we're likely to hear that the, the outcome of that meeting uh, this afternoon. Neffet, or NIAC's and Neffet's advice together was, uh, I understand, quite pessimistic about um, the current situation, the current rise in cases. However, I'm told that there could be some wriggle room, is the, the phrase that was used when it comes to uh, keeping some of the, reopening some of the, the, the industries that aren't open, so the likes of nightclubs and things like that. So we could see nightclubs reopening um, in the com- either the, this weekend or in the coming weeks, and it's likely that you know the, the COVID cert is going to remain in place for the hospitality sector. There is some talk about an increased use of antigen testing as well. Mm. There's a political commitment has been made here by the government. They'll bear that in mind as they sit down. But they've learned in the past, haven't they, Adam, that they ignore Neffet at their peril. So they've got some decisions to make today. They do, but I think as if you look at the past um, couple of decisions they made, I mean, in the earlier phase of the pandemic, it was very much, you know, Neffet would issue their advice and the government would kind of follow it to a letter. And recently we've seen the government kind of moving away from that. And we know that the government want to move to the, what they call the next phase of managing the pandemic. So they want to move away from this public health-led uh, advice method that we've used so far. And we know that Neffin and the Cabinet Subcommittee were supposed to be uh, not disbanded, but changed after yeah. October 22nd. They were supposed to kind of evolve into something else and move back into the, the background and let politics take the lead again as, as we move into what they said was going to be an endemic phase of the pandemic as opposed to this emergency response that we have. Now, one kind of silver bullet that the government hopes to be able to to roll out after the, the Cabinet decision today is NIAC yesterday advised that booster shots could be given to anyone over the age of 60. So at the moment that was just for the later age groups and mm. NIAC are now saying look we can get this down to over over 60s now, the HSE will, once the cabinet signs off, and immediately start rolling that out, so that's something you're probably going to see as early as next week. As you'll appreciate Adam here in Cork, this is quite a big weekend for us coming up, it's not just the October bank holiday, it's one of the biggest weekends in the year, the Jazz Festival and a lot of anxious businesses are listening to our conversation this morning, Adam, wondering what to expect. They've booked acts, they've planned to open later. Will there be any good news for them today? I think they're likely to get kind of mixed news today and they're right to be anxious because it is an anxious time when it comes to the hospitality sector and of course that reopening later, the curfew that's there at 11.30 is the big question and yeah, when I was speaking to people this morning involved in the decision making, there was no indication 
either way of what was going to happen. So I think that's something that the leaders are very much bringing to Cabinet and going to make a full Cabinet decision and discussion together on that. I think they want to hear from the likes of Minister Martin and, and the other ministers involved in that sector about what do they, what they think should happen here. So that's a big decision to make and it's one that I don't think we're going to know the answer to until later today. I don't think there'll be a speech at government buildings this evening, will there? I'm not sure if it's going to be the same method that we've seen where the Taoiseach comes out and makes a speech, but I'm told it's likely in and around lunchtime that this announcement will be made. So if it is, it'll probably be around one o'clock, but there will definitely be some sort of press opportunity and the Taoiseach will be speaking to the press later on and taking questions on the decisions that the government have made today. Lastly, Adam, am I right in thinking, because when you and I had these conversations previously, the Neffet advice to government had been leaking like a sieve all night. We're a little more in the dark this morning than we have been on previous occasions. You're 100% correct in saying that, yeah. I mean, last night I was trying to uh, get hold of that advice and get hold of some of the government discussions before our paper went to print, and it was incredibly difficult, much more difficult than it has been in a long time. So you're right to say not only Neffet, but the government are playing their cards close to their chest this time around, which, of course, is, is a cause for concern. Have you a political analyst's hat on that as to why that is the case? I'd imagine it might be something to do with this being hopefully the last time we hear from Neffet in such an emergency capacity and maybe they're starting that phasing back already and this is why we're hearing less about the advice and we'll probably hear more about the government's decision today as opposed to them leaning and relying on that Neffet advice. Adam, if if you hear anything else during the morning, I'm sure we can get in contact with you again, but thanks, thanks for being with us just now. Thank you. As Adam Higgins, political correspondent to the Irish Sun, speaking to me before we came on air this morning. We have an idea now that the nightclubs will be able to reopen, but there will be restrictions. For example, you will have to have your COVID cert for the foreseeable future. You will have to have ID for the foreseeable future. They're talking about clamping down on places where your ID or your Cert are not being checked. And we all know, we've all heard, some of us have even seen places where your COVID cert, your app, whatever you call it, is not being checked. We all know there are places where your cert might be checked, your pass might be checked, but your ID wasn't checked. They have to clamp down on that. That may be one of the terms and conditions NEFIT will apply to reopening. Whether or not they'll extend the opening hours at the weekend. We thought we'd be back to normal opening hours for the jazz weekend. Will we all be told to drink up at 11 for half past again? We won't know that until later today. As soon as we do know, Anthony, we'll certainly let you know. Also, the INTO have issued a statement, that's the National Teachers Organization, have issued a statement calling for the immediate reintroduction of testing and tracing in primary schools. This follows the closing of a school in County Wexford yesterday, closing until after the midterm break because they've got a severe outbreak in the school, over 30 cases in the school. And the principal was on the television news yesterday saying that if they had proper tracing and proper information going on, that maybe, now maybe, they wouldn't have had to close their school. And a lot of schools worried because of the fact that we're not focusing. We've, we've taken our eye off the primary schools and the way the virus is circulating within the primary schools. And was that the right thing to do? INTO will be talking to them a little bit later. Do you ever get caught by a bank scam? 
Do you know anybody who's been caught by a bank scam? What would you think of someone who got caught by a bank scam? Would you think they were an idiot? Would you think, God almighty, how did that happen? Well, Margaret has contacted us with the hope that what happened to her will teach people that it can happen to anybody. We'll hear Margaret's story next. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. You can do it on your phone. Wow, okay, easy. You can do it with your housemate. Hmm. This is actually fun. You can even do it in bed. Well, that didn't take long. Do the Monster Music Survey at 96fm.ie and you could win cash. Cash. Listen to the tunes, tell us what you think and be in to win €1,000. €1,000. The Monster Music Survey. Do it now at 96fm.ie. Margaret, you feel very foolish about this. Could I just reassure you at the start, you shouldn't because you got caught like these professional gangsters are out to catch you. So take me to the very start. What happened? Um, well, my husband and myself were ill and we were in isolation. And um, I we were sick and we were laying low. And I got a text message from... Uh, my bank that comes always comes in on the trade, you know, it's like a genuine message from my bank. Yeah. And it said that there was um, unusual activity, on, a suspicious activity on my account. And I had to press on the link to secure my account. No, I panicked and I pressed on the link and the page that came up is the page that I always use for my online banking. No, I'm not very computer literate, um, but because the banks are encouraging people to go online, you really have no choice because it's impossible to get to go into a bank and speak to a person now. Yes. And um, I did that, and then a few hours later, I got a phone call from um, the a person in the bank to say that were we aware that our current account and our savings account had been cleared out and did we did we intend on moving money and I said Jane we haven't been out for over a week we didn't I didn't authorise any money to go out of our account and what followed then PJ was four days of absolute worry stress sleepless nights and me beating myself up because I was so I couldn't believe how stupid I was to have pressed on the link. Margaret, do, do you mind telling me how much money was involved? Was it a significant sum? It was. It was. It was well over ten thousand. Oh my goodness me! So, yeah, so it was did, every penny we had. Did the bank investigate when you told them you hadn't done this genuinely? So this is the thing. This is the issue I have. I think the banks should have more robust systems in place to protect people's funds. Because when the guy rang us from the bank, he told me to make um, a report to the guards in Fomoy and to um, send the details of a pulse number 
to uh, give it, he gave me a, um, an email number and that's the only contact we had with a physical person. Now, of course, I rang the bank the next morning again to try and speak to someone and a very nice lady came on, but she said to me, the bank deals with these on a case-by-case basis. Yeah. So the entire weekend we spent worrying, stressed. Our wages had gone into the bank on that Thursday, every penny we had. So by Monday morning, um, we got another a text message from the bank and I was half afraid to open it at that stage but it was to say they had processed a refund to our account but no explanation we don't know what happened how they got at our money you know who took it um, and we haven't been able to speak to anybody so it's not good enough that they don't come back to people physically and tell them you know um, I felt You've no idea what my husband and I went through, the worry of it for the four days um, and not knowing. And all we could get was, oh, we we deal with it on a case-to-case basis and that's it. Now, I've gotten these text messages myself um, telling me there's been suspicious activity on my account from a bank I don't have an account with. So it's very easy for me to dismiss that as a scam. But this was your bank... Yes, that we've been, we've dealt with them for 45 years. So like the money that comes in and goes out of our account, it's just our usual household running costs. So, I mean, for any bank to think that it was okay to take every penny we had out and not even ring us to check. You know, I mean, we've, we've the same pattern for the last 45 years. About how long after you clicked on the link that caused this to happen, did the bank contact you? Five hours. Now, um, people have said that we've been lucky that it was that quickly that they think the bank may have caught it in time. Yeah. But we nobody's told us. We don't know. We genuinely don't know how it happened. Or You just... It, it, we were left in limbo and we got it back in limbo, which we were very grateful for because... You know, it was terrifying at the time, and really, we were we were we were really sick, were worried. And I just want to say to people that um, don't click on anything. And I know, I think for older people, my age group, we're not as computer literate and we're not as up with it as the younger crowd are. Mm-hmm. So I think people should be so aware of it. And if it saves one person from the anguish that we had. It'll be worth this. Like when you, when the bank contacted you first, the real bank contacted yes. you first and said they'd noticed this activity. Like, did they tell you then, look, we'll freeze the account? Did they tell you you'd be able to get the money back? No, no. I asked the boy that rang, I said, what happened? What's going to happen? Now, obviously, the first question I asked was, were we going to get our money back? And he just said to me, or the fraud investigation team deal with this on a case by case basis. Right. You need to get a pulse you need to get a pulse number from the Garda and you need to send it to this email he gave me. Sure. I said to him, like, how did it happen? He said, As I say, um we'll deal with it on a day on a you know, a person to person basis, case by case basis. So they didn't give me any information and that was even more worrying because I know whether they still had it, he didn't say they still had their mo- our money. 
he 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 did say, "Did you transfer?" And he named the amount, and I knew exactly what the amount was, of course. And I said, "No, I didn't." So that's all the information he gave us. So your your accounts were literally cleaned out. Cleaned out. Nothing left. Nothing, absolutely. Now they um, closed. They put a block in on on our online banking. Yeah. I was about to ask you that actually, like at least in that first phone call, they did lock the account, so no, nothing else could. They be, did, yeah. yeah right. Well, right. there was nothing else to take at that stage. There was nothing else in there, you know. Yeah, but no, but in case any money was to come in, in the meantime, well, that, that was that was the next worry we had because we would have been paid again. And I said to my husband, "What are we going to do now if our money goes in again and it's not? It's going to be gone again." You just you need the banks need. To, when this happens to people, they need to, for you to be able to ring a person yeah. and for them to explain what, what what procedure they're taking to protect you. You know, because it's I looked out up online and what you know I read articles because I was demented for worry, and that's the only way I can put it now. And felt so stupid. The banks do say frequently, "We'll never email you. We'll never." text you with. They do, they do. But when it actually happened, and to explain something, Margaret, that I might have missed earlier on, like, we do all get the occasional text message from our bank. But sure, that's the thing, if you, if I, if I buy something online, they'll send me a number, to, you know, to put in the number before the transaction goes through. That's right. So. And it was in that thread? It was in that thread. Wow. And I was able to send it to the bank and show it to the bank. It was in, so it, that's why I thought it was genuine yeah. and why I clicked on it. And then I beat myself up thinking, how could you have been so stupid? And I just want people to just be very, very careful. And, you know, when if it does happen and you're unfortunate enough for it to happen, try not to worry the way I did. Because nearly, I, I was so worried I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat. Um, and until we heard on Monday from Thursday till the following Monday that our, our account was restored then we were able to breathe again I know that must have been a horrific few days and it was there was no reassurance that it would happen it was just we processed these things and tell me Margaret yes. when you went to the guards about it they were absolutely brilliant we went in no we couldn't go We they told us to go immediately because we both and I were in isolation we had to wait till the Saturday till our isolation was up and then we went in and we told they'd, um, a report inside and a very nice garden for my and he came out on Sunday morning because I was crying into the man's face poor boy and he came out on Sunday morning to take a second statement and he said because it was a substantial amount, you know, they'd have to investigate it as well. And um but they were absolutely brilliant. No judgment. They treated us with respect. And you know you feel so stupid. Were they familiar with the fa- fact that they had to give you the pulse number and then you'd go back to the bank with the pulse number? Yes. yes. They were familiar with that then? Yes, they knew about that. And like um, he said to me, you know, they've had quite a few of these uh, people coming in mm. with the similar similar problems. But um, it, it was just terrifying. And, and I just would emphasize, don't 
think on any links for any reason. I've learned a hard lesson. And if it saves one person out today for from doing that, it'll be worth it. Well, well, I, you're very you're very brave to to tell us, Margaret, because you you did say you felt awful. You're doing a great service by telling people, and and you should yeah. reassure yourself with that. Just one last question: Did did the guards ever? managed to find out who done this to you? No, and there was a, um, a detective rang us from um, from I as well, and they are they are investigating it. Right, right. So, you know, it'll probably take a while. But um, as I say, the banks really need to reassure people, even, even when it happens, they need to be more upfront and tell people you are or you're not getting your money back or you know it, mm. they, they just have to have more robust bus systems to to save people from all that anguish and that point you made a while ago like the person who called you a few hours later to ask you had you made this transaction that was one thing but then trying to contact a human being at the bank after that it's you'd be 45 minutes waiting and then you have to press this number and press that number and you're waiting. And then I eventually got through. That was on the Friday morning because I was distraught. And um, and the, the, she was very nice. And But she said exactly the same as the man had said the night before. We, we investigate on a case-by-case case basis. There was no reassurance. There was nothing. It was just, you just have to wait till we decide. But that's not good enough, PJ, when... We've spent 45 years putting our money into this bank and, you know, supporting them. I mean, we pay our fees to the bank. Mm. And then, you know, I know we got it back and we appreciated getting it back. But at the same time, if there was anybody that did it, I wouldn't get their money back. How how would you deal with it? Yeah. Well, thanks very much for telling us this story today because I'm sure, and I guarantee you, there's someone else out there listening who has been caught or nearly caught. And do you mind me telling you something? A couple of years ago, I was caught myself. Oh, that makes me feel a little bit better because... It was, it was a different kind of a thing, but I was caught myself. And like that now in the story, I had to deal with case-by-case basis. Basically, someone... The, the, the bank... <laughs> Someone took 1,300 quid out of my bank to buy tools in Amsterdam. Oh, my God. And I rang the bank and I said, I buy tools down at Cork Builders Providers. I don't go to Amsterdam. And like that now, in the, in the, they said, oh, case by case basis. To be fair to them, they were back to me within 48 hours with my money back to me. But I had that worrying period, you know. Yeah, and that's the way we were for the entire... And you know, when you're at home and you can't get out, and no matter what people say to reassure you, until it's back in your bank, you can't rest. No, you can't. Margaret, thanks so much for talking to me today. And you've done a, you've done a great service by telling your story. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. I spoke to Margaret last evening about that. I think we all know someone who's got a message like that. The thing that jumps out to me, is the insidious nature of it. And she's quite right. In this online purchasing world, where you go to buy something on wherever, eBay or wherever you buy something, you go to book a hotel on booking.com or anything like that, you can get often a text message from your bank to your phone saying, use these numbers. 
to verify the transaction. So you go beep, 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 and it goes through. It was in that thread of text messages that Margaret, legitimate text messages, that Margaret got the link that allowed these characters in to rob her bank account. That's how insidious it is. 1850 and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Douglas Court Shopping Centre. They've got everything you need and more. Visit douglascourt.ie. Courts 96 FM. Now, the principal of a primary school in Wexford was on the television news uh, last night after they had to close the place until after the midterm break. This is Vicky Barron from CBS Primary School in Wexford and she said under HSE guidelines that asymptomatic children were allowed to go to school even if there were close contacts. That wasn't good enough. She said a number of children in her school were found to be positive despite not having any symptoms. There are 34 cases in the school. In one class, 19 children tested positive. And they've been saying that CO2 monitors and stuff are not Enough. Colin Daly is Vice Principal of the North Mon Primary School. Colin, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. I think a lot of teachers and principals around the country would share Vicky Barron's concern because we've stopped focusing on the primary schools and there's a kind of a let it, let it rip mentality out there in the primary schools. Absolutely. Like I think that when the um, I think the INTO called yesterday for the public health and advice assessment to come back, I know that teachers and and principals that I've been speaking to um, found that a great comfort. As you could you could go and you could relay the situation, and then they'd give their expertise on it. But I suppose we're not trained. I suppose in, in that scenario to give our advice to parents, to give our advice to the to the teachers so I suppose like when, you, when you're referring to an expert it, it's, it's a much safer course of action than kind of relying on, on what you think yourself um, and I think that Vicky uh, was put in a, a situation I suppose that she felt that she had to respond for the safety of the children uh, and I wish her and her staff the, the very best I suppose in this because it, it can't be easy and it's a very challenging time for them It must be a nightmare in every school principal at this stage Colin that if you get a, more than a certain caseload in the school, you may just have to shut the door for a week or two. See, this is it. And like, it's it's a very worrying time. And then you're impacting on, on, on parents who, who, who are working, who might have to take some time off, who have childcare issues. Um, you have you, you have staff as well who, who, are, who are trying to deal with it. And it's a very worrying time for everybody. And I think there, there is a, like, a couple, last year, if, if we had these sort of numbers, I think everything would have been shut down. Uh, yeah. But no, it seems that with with the rollout and the vaccinations, the the cases are still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you as you said yourself, it's just kind of left to 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 its own devices. So I'd welcome the the INTOs, um, I suppose, questioning on whether public health advice and assessment would come back because mm-hmm. it, it is very helpful for for, for, for the benefit for of context, Colin. For the benefit of context, 
if you had a number of cases in your school today versus, say, six months ago, what's the difference in procedure? Well, I suppose the difference in procedure is that it's it's completely left to the board of management and the the, 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 the management of the school at this point, as opposed to last, I would say, six months ago or a year ago, we would have had the benefit of, of, of seeking public health advice. Uh, they would have then given their opinion and, um, I suppose, asked us to relay the message for them rather than us um, creating a message and then relaying it to, to parents and staff. They would have then, they would have... Mm offered advice and you'd then have been, you'd have been taking professional be public health advice says, yeah. which would be the most absolutely. normal thing to do yeah, absolutely in, in, in a pandemic and and that's what you want back now given that moreover in the primary schools these children are not vaccinated oops his line's gone no, but that's what they do they want the INTO want the old regime back where if you got a couple of cases in the school you get onto public health public health tell you what to do and you take it from there rather than rather than what seems to be the case now is they just have taken their eyes off the primary schools and they're letting it rip. And 34 cases in that school in Wexford, they had to close it down. 19 cases in one classroom. Of course they had to close it down. Thanks, Colin. Unfortunately, the line did drop. Just on Margaret's story, I feel very sorry for this lady and to those of us who are familiar with the frauds one day there'll be a new twist we don't know about and it will catch a lot of people these banks were bailed out and they should now operate partly as a service we looked after them they should look after us so I think Colin is back sorry you dropped out there on me for a second Colin you want to go back and the INTO wants to go back to what was the situation six months ago that you call public health and you take their advice Absolutely, I think I like. I think it's 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 a great resource, and I think the the, the department and and the government got it right when they when they brought in that uh, procedure because, as you said, it's you're referring to experts in the field rather than I suppose what what our opinions on it is, and I think like it should be acknowledged as well that the, the department did put in some uh, very good resources and infrastructure in place in terms of financial support for schools as well, mm. uh, but I suppose as as the, the cases are spiking now and as it's becoming a very wor- very worrying time again for for the children for their parents uh, for staff um and for the school as in in the whole context i think the the, the i suppose the 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 procedures and the systems that served us so well should come back at this point i'd feel mm, okay all right leave it there and thank you colin daly vice principal at the northman primary school how would parents feel about that that if they brought back the testing and the contact tracing into the primary schools. And yeah, it's it's a nuisance if Johnny and Mary have to come home for a few days because their friend Louise or Tommy has tested positive for COVID and they were in the pot. It's a pain in the ass when that happens. Absolutely it is. I'd hate to be in that position. But isn't it safer than the whole class having it? And isn't it safer than one kid in the class bringing it home to someone vulnerable and you know what happens then? What happens then? We all know. So would you feel that they should bring back the testing, bring back the tracing and bring back the sending home of individual pods if needs be for a few days? I'd like your thoughts at 1850 715996. On banks again, I got so many calls that are fraudulent. I actually overlooked a real text 
informing me that my card had been used in Canada. It was lucky in the end that I did follow it up. And Kate says my friends had four fraudulent calls in the past week because you will get caught out eventually. She just moved her account away from a bank that no longer had counter service to one that did. They only have to be right once. The fraudsters, I mean. Yeah, and and it's just pepper sprayed out there. And if you happen to click on the link, that's what happens. 1850-715-996. I was someone who enjoyed maths in school. I wasn't very good at it, but I enjoyed it. And with the benefit of some great teachers, I got better at it. And I did well in my leaving and I did well in my... We had to do a, a exam for college then called them a trick. I, I, I did well in that. But, but I did. To this day, I enjoy maths and I enjoy thinking and talking about maths and solving mathematical problems and sums. This is National Maths Week. Uh, Dermot McCarthy is a maths teacher in Carrigaline Community School. He's also the founder of the Leaving Cert Revision website, tacitmaths.ie. We've spoken before. Dermot, why do so many people hate or fear maths, do you think? Good morning. Well, that's... Uh, good morning, PJ. How are you? That's the, that's the killer question, really. I think... Um Jeez, if I could answer that, you know, I'd be, <laughs> I'd, I'd be, I'd be a very good maths teacher. But I think, I think it's just it's, it causes some sort of anxiety. I think people kind of get concerned when they see a problem and they don't immediately know how to solve it, you know. And I, I kind of, I always look out for who are, you know, the, the, the top maths students, not the, not the ones who get A ones and H ones and all this, but the ones who reach their potential. Mm usually are the ones that they see a problem, they don't immediately know how to solve it, but they kind of have the confidence to know, you know, that, okay, if I do, if I think back to my problem-solving skills, if I think back to all the tools that I know, eventually I'll figure it out, you know. So that's a very brief answer to a, to a very complicated question. So Has it changed? Well, when I was in school and we, we learned our tables and, and we learned our formulas and we learned all these things and we did our basics... But now they give children calculators at nine or ten years of age. My personal opinion as an individual is they're not learning the basic skills and it's going to affect them up the line. As a teacher, do you see that? Um, a small bit, yeah. Now, I think what the, what the new maths in, in maths in school at the moment, is, it's actually trying to focus more on the problem-solving aspect of things. And like I, I see what my first year is there at the moment. Now they to be fair to them, they still they still know their times tables, but maybe not as much. And I think especially up to the age of about thirteen, like I know you will have a calculator later on, but like if you don't know you're twelve times eleven and you're eight times three, you know, and if you don't know it off the top of your head, it will slow you down, you know. It's but then again, once you get into second level, my my kind of opinion is you're being you're being tested on or you're being assessed on such more advanced topics yes. that you know if if you don't have your calculator you may as well use the tools at your disposal yeah. to to solve more complicated things you know so again it's it's kind of a it's a complicated topic and there's teachers especially would have varying opinions either way on it you know but mm. it's 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 interesting all the same the system of examining and market and and marking has changed as well and i if i took a a leaving cert paper from when I was in school and sat down and did it and tried to do a leaving cert paper from th- this this leaving cert just gone, I, I know which one I'd do well at. It's changed yeah. a lot. It has, yeah. And even, even, even if I look back through the exam papers at the moment... Even just the visuals of them, like the new, the new, the new exam 
papers, it just seems like nearly an English exam more than a maths exam sometimes. But I, I'd be a fan of the new system, really, because like I, I remember even when I was a student, you could nearly predict, not, maybe not predict exactly what was going to come up, but predict the exact format of what was going to come up and know mm. that, well, if you learn this, this and this, and if you if you might recall that all the questions had a part A, B and C, right. and you'd say, oh, I'll, I'll get the A's and B's right and all the C's will be a bonus and all that. Mm. And sometimes now, the answers from A and B would help you to solve C. Yeah, exactly. Like, and and that had its merits, but I think they're just trying to get away from such a, 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 re, a rigorous format, really. And, you know, it's it's more fluid now and you kind of have to think think outside the box a small bit more and there's a lot more problem solving involved. Yeah. And, you know, it's 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 developing. I, I would be a big fan of the, the way it's developed, but one maybe positive or negative aspect, as, as you kind of alluded to there, is it, it is kind of dumbed down a small bit, some some teachers would say. Mm. And like, if you looked at the, the exam papers from before, the, the complexity of some of those questions, even as a maths teacher, I'd struggle with some of them, you know, whereas mm. it's, it, they're more focused on the problem solving side of things now, really, more than anything. Mm. Look, we spoke about testedmaths.ie, which is a website. We're getting into a, a difficult year for Leaving certs and junior certs heading into junior cert maths, but leaving cert maths, it's now people start worrying, isn't it? Coming into October, they start getting scared. Yeah, that's the thing. And like, what I'd be saying to them is, it is, it is still only October, you know. And and you're whatever whatever leaving cert students are feeling at the moment. Every single leaving cert student who's ever gone through the gone through sixth year has felt the exact same thing. And I think the big piece of advice that I tell them is that. It's maths, especially for for whatever reason, it really doesn't start coming together till maybe three or four weeks before the pre before the actual exam. You know, when you can start connecting all the different chapters and connecting all the different concepts. That so as long as you can stick it out until then, you just kind of have to have faith that it, well, if I work hard enough and if I work smart enough, mm. it will start to come together then in those in those couple of weeks. Great, all right, Dermot. The first time we spoke was when you had begun to apply some leaving cert maths. To the COVID situation, are you still doing that in your spare time? Oh, of course. Every every day of the week, I, I I'd be seeing things where leaving our mats or junior our mats apply to everything in life. It's amazing once you once you open your eyes. So, so where are we mats. now in your view? Um. Oh well, as as you know, no, I'm not I'm not an expert on most of the things, but like in terms of. Matt, there's just one thing that was kind of jumping out of me there in the last few weeks. And like I just read a, a report that came out yesterday that up to 63% of ICU patients this week were were unvaccinated, you know, which means that 27% were fully vaccinated. And I don't know about you, but when I saw that, I know it's I know it's mostly unvaccinated people, but I'm still kind of thinking, how is the 27%? How is that so high for vaccinated people? But what I'm falling for, I'm falling for, a, a, you know, a, a common fallacy it's called called the base rate fallacy right the word looks it looks much bigger than it is right, right. and say i i, I kind of made out an example there so just think of a hypothetical country we'll say that has a thousand people in it and let's say that 90 percent of them are vaccinated so right. that's 900 vaccinated 10 not vaccinated and right. let's say if you look at their icu and if you imagine that five of them are fully vaccinated and five of them are unvaccinated. Well, the headlines in that country would say, oh, 50% of our ICU is full of fully vaccinated people. But what you're, what, what, what they'd be missing out in that headline is that the, the fully vaccinated people, that's five as a percentage of 900. 
which is 0.5%. Whereas okay. the unvaccinated people, that's five as a percentage of 100, which is 5%. So that, mis- that headline would be extremely misleading because uh-huh. it's a tiny percentage of the fully vaccinated people. Uh-huh. And if we, took it, if we took it a step further then, imagine there was no, no vaccines in that country. Well, you would have to assume that it would be 5% of the population are going to get, be in ICU. So that instead of there being 10 people in ICU, there'd actually be 50 people in ICU. You know, so that's that's what those headlines are kind of missing out on. You know, they they just go for the, the main headline, but you're missing out on a what why why those percentages are actually good news for vaccines, and b why you know what how bad it would actually be if there was no vaccines. And if you look at our our, our the actual percentages, like if you just did a few small calculations based on our population, the number of how how many we would have an ICU at the moment if we didn't have vaccines? It's a, just a scary thought, really. They'd be overwhelmed. Oh, without a doubt, we, there'd be there'd be no schools open anyway. There'd be no nightclubs open. There'd, no, there'd be no talk of well, it, you know. So and and you explain that through simple math. So the twenty the twenty seven percent never forget that that's twenty seven percent of hundreds of thousands of people, exactly, as opposed to sixty three percent of three hundred thousand people. Exactly. That's exactly it, chap. Crikey. All right. I know you've got a class to do at 10 o'clock, but thanks for being with us to discuss Maths Week. Dear Member McCarthy, he's a match teacher in Carrigaline Community School. He's also the founder of the Leaving Cert Division uh, website, tacitmats.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850 715 996. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Got to tell you, we're inundated with comments from Recently, Now, she got her money back, quite a sizable amount of money. But she said she was caught. She innocently clicked on a link in a legitimate feed on her phone, legitimate text message feed on her phone. She was badly caught out. Quite a lot of messages from people who can identify with that. I'll get to as many as I can of them during the rest of the morning. Also, did you know that there are some expenses you can claim and some tax benefits that you can claim if you've been working at home? for the last year and a bit and if you intend to keep working at home for the next while at least in the budget last week they were hidden away in the small print and our good friend John Lowe the money doctor will join me later to tell us what's in there and how we might go about getting it if you have any questions get them into us at 083 396 96 96 so it's a busy busy morning ahead here's a question that's quite a an amount in on COVID as well and on vaccination. People who saw, say, um, Joe from Cork Bio on uh, Joe Shea on the Careborn Live programme last night. Joe really hit out at people who are not vaccinated. I'll read a long comment we got on that a bit later, but here's one. Good morning, PJ. Do you know what I'm wondering? What has happened to herd immunity? Also, I think all measures should be put back in place as regards schools, and I wouldn't be fond of lifting any remaining measures until after Christmas. I wouldn't like to see the hospitals overwhelmed 
and the health workers under pressure again, especially as they've been working through this pandemic for a long time. Those are my thoughts anyway. Thanks, Emil. Josephine, uh, on this very damp morning in West Cork. Well, thank you for that, Josephine. And it leads me nicely to our next topic of conversation because a trauma expert based here in Cork has shed light on something we've we've kind of sensed and it's been said quietly or less than quietly by some people that there are healthcare workers out there on the front line doctors nurses and other ancillary healthcare workers who when this is over will need treatment for burnout and will need treatment for PTSD I spoke early in the pandemic to a young man from Cork who was working in an intensive care unit in London and he was telling me that he was deeply worried, not just for his colleagues, but for himself, that, you know, PTSD was a real thing coming up to the end of this. And I've brought it up once or twice on the opinion line with various guests who are in a position to say, yeah, that's a very distinct likelihood. Gus Murray has more than 25 years experience as a mental health clinician and in dealing with people who have got PTSD in one form or another. Gus, I'll start by asking you, if you could please, in layman's language, to describe what is PTSD. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, indeed. Um, PTSD was discovered, really, uh, roughly in the middle 1970s at the end of the Vietnam War. Prior to that, when veterans were returning from war, uh, they were often uh, identified as having what they used to call shell shock. But the exploration of the symptoms started to identify particular patterns and then the research studies and then, of course, the benefit of neuroimaging and uh, scans and so on have identified that there's a very real impact when, the, when our systems are overwhelmed. And typically, what is PTSD? It's what happens in the, in the normal course of our life when we face difficult situations. We uh, deal with them with support, with resources that we have accumulated internally and externally. And we make our way through them, we digest them and they pass through. PTSD develops when that's not possible. Yeah. When the impact of the experience overwhelms us and it doesn't actually make its way through. It sticks. And when it sticks, the symptoms that, give, that it gives rise to are typically, first of all, what we call flashbacks. Uh, we, we're having intrusive images or uh, thoughts or uh, messages or you know, feeling states that arise from the original experience. The second thing is we have a, a very strong impulse to avoid that and to push it away. So we don't want to talk about it or we don't want to bring up any reminders of it because it's too disturbing. So that, that conflict is running con constantly, the conflict between the, intrus the intrusiveness of it and the tendency to push it away. Mm. And then the third one, finally, just to finish it, is that that leaves us with a state of what we call hyperarousal, an internal state of agitation mm. uh, where we're catchy, uh, short fuses, um, irritable, um, with not with lack of, you know inter interruption of our sleep and various uh, you know expressions of of that nature. One or two of the documentaries that were made uh, during the course of the 
the really bad days of the pandemic goes. I remember sitting watching them on television and, and being myself feeling a bit traumatised for what the, the frontline workers were going through and asking myself the question, who's minding them? Who's taking care yes. of them? Because when they come out of this, they, they will be scarred for life from this. Well, if I could just put that slightly into context as well. COVID brought things that we never had to face before. Because in the normal course of life, the thing that protects us against, you know, trauma and PTSD and so on, the thing that protects us against it is our resilience. Yes. And resilience is cultivated by the normal things we do in life. Our, Our social networks, going to work, going to school, um, going to the gym, going to the pub, going shopping, going to the hairdresser, doing all the normal things, uh, meeting with extended family, um, playing the games of different sorts, training, and so on and so on and so on. When all of those are removed, and as they were, when all of those are taken from us, we don't have this, the methods of sustaining our resilience and so what we start to experience in the face of that is vulnerability. Mm. Now, that, that is true. That was true and is, has been true for all people, frontline or backline or any other line. That, that was very much the case in, our, in the general society. So the impact of that has been uh, less of a sense of resilience, less self-confidence, um, uh, tendencies towards a, a little bit of depression, maybe anxiety. The vulnerabilities that are inside can then start to come out more. Okay. Now, let that be the background, and then you think of your question about the uh, frontline people. The, the, the demand on the frontline people was immense. Still is immense in, other, in certain ways, but not as much as it had been in the, uh, back in the last two years. Mm. So the, the, the demand is, first of all, the, everybody's in high alert, everybody's uptight. And so for that reason, there's a, a sort of a fraught atmosphere and th- that tension is running all the time. Then you go, you have the added thing, which is that it's a very rarefied situation. There, are, Say, for example, in the hospitals, there are no visitors. You think of the nursing homes and you think of the number of people who died, sadly, in the nursing homes. Mm. The, 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 the healthcare workers exposed to that the term that's often now used to describe what happens is that they suffer compassion fatigue. The, 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 the pain of the, the people they're helping starts to invade them and take them over. They feel a sense of helplessness, powerlessness, you know, um, even guilt, because they're, the thing that they're professionally set out to do, they're not able to do it. Yes. And yes, we have. There is indeed, as you say, quite an amount of the. It's it's a, it's an accumulation. What happened in the first year actually wasn't as, didn't ha- have as deep an effect as what happened in the second year, because it's the constant drop yeah. that wears the stone. Yes, yes. As in, the first wave was terrible. The second wave was dreadful. January, February, I spoke to people off and on air who who wept when they told me what they were going through and pleaded. With, with the public to, to heed the advice. And my constant worry, Gus, is that at the end of all of this, and we have to believe that it will come to an end, we have to believe that some normality will return, there are going to be a lot of broken people needing help from people like you. 
Well, you know, but uh, we <clears throat> we initiated uh, an outreach. Uh, we did it online, and we offered uh, six, uh, uh, sorry, four sessions of uh, two-hour sessions of intervention to frontline workers who were impacted, and we got uh, something like eighty-three responses over the two years. Um, and so already th- there is some recognition by people in, this, in, the, in the professions that the, uh, of the impact it has had on them. What's interesting about it is that um, uh, the, uh, about, uh, of that 83, I think something in the region of 60 women and 20 men uh, were responded. Mm-hmm. So I think there is generally a quicker acknowledgement of uh, you know, what has been happening among the women than there is among the men, because I think we men have a tendency to have a kind of a more stiff upper lip yes. and a feeling as if somehow we're going soft if we're acknowledging that we're in some kind of pain and difficulty. Mm-hmm. And th- what, what we're attempting to do then is uh, intercept that and recognise, number one, that there is there are very legitimate symptoms that follow. And number two, then, we're using a treatment in this instance, we used a treatment called EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And so we brought the people in groups. They were coming anonymously. We actually conducted a research study uh, side by side with it. And um, the feedback we were getting from them is that the impact reduced the level of disturbance that they were having from it. Right. Okay. Okay. There's a start being made, but a lot more work, I suppose, to do when all this is over. Gus Murray, thank you for being with us on the opinion line. Gus is with Trauma Response Network Ireland. TRNIreland.ie is the website. And that particular treatment form that he's talking about, EMDR. There's a lot of reading online about that. It's quite fascinating science. Thank you, Gus. Uh, 1850 715 There was a statistic came out yesterday in, uh, in a report about minority ethnic third-level staff. I thought it was quite interesting. They said that more than a third of third-level staff who belong to ethnic minorities say they have been subjected to racial or ethnic discrimination on campus. Some of them are underpaid compared to their white colleagues, and a huge number feel that they are disrespected, even though their English is fluent and flawless. They feel sometimes they're actually fact-checked because of their accent, and they feel that there is racial discrimination on campus, conscious or otherwise. I'm not entirely sure that didn't that didn't come through in the research, conscious or unconscious. I think it's probably a combination of both. It's an opportunity to bring ma- bring back a gentleman who we unfortunately had to cut short a week or two ago for no reason other than time. Dr. Amon Desundi uh, from the UCC Minorities Caucus, who's been with us many times before. Amon, good morning. Good morning, and it is actually the story of my life. I'm always cut short. (laughs) (laughs) How are you doing? Hopefully not today. Good to speak with you again. (laughs) Um, This research, uh, what do you make of it? It's it's, it's really a a time for us to reflect. It's, um, it's It's a damning report, if I could, if I could use... Um, such um, strong language. It is something that um, 
minority ethnic staff and students and all those who walk in through the doors of a university have been saying for a very long time um, it's a huge step forward. Um, it is the first of its kind um, survey ever to be undertaken in Ireland. That is huge. That's an acknowledgement um, that there is an issue um, and that we have to deal with it. Now, it was done by the Higher Education Authority and some 3,300 staff were surveyed. Mm-hmm. What jumps out to me particularly is the pay differentials. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. It's a very difficult situation to to really rationalise, if I could say it, because you see, we've talked about this before. I think I spoke about this with you. Racism, you know, discrimination is not actually rational or logical. It doesn't make sense. And even when you have, um, you know, um, laws and everything in place where you try to create an equal system, we know that inequality creeps in. So we have to keep trying to strengthen, you know, our our policies and uh, our structures in order to make them equal. Look, PJ, we know that people make up, you know, a, a million and one um, ideas or conclusions just by what they see, how they perceive somebody, the way that they talk, what they wear, what they wear on their head, all of these things affect how people react to each other. What we want to do is we want to make sure that there are enough, um, um, you know, effective policies and structures in place mm. um, to make sure that everybody has an, an equal go at, at everything. But I'm, I'm, I'm really I'm really not surprised at, at what this um, uh, what this um Um, the survey results have found. Mm. Now, to be fair, there were also positives in it. Seven out of ten said they felt they were treated equally by colleagues, irrespective Mm -hmm. of background. And again, 70% said they were treated equally by students. And and that in itself is policy. I would like you, you, one would like it to be higher, but it it is positive. But here's the thing. Despite being fluent English speakers, Mm -hmm. some people Mm -hmm. often faced criticism and often incorrect, correct, and others said they're lectures were being fact-checked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, like I said, there's there's so much that I hear, you know, um, uh, on a, po- uh, you, you know, there are positives here. University College Cork has established a race equality forum. I am the chair of that. I, uh, you know, speak to a, a lot of uh, minority ethnic staff and students um, on, on a daily basis, and they tell me about the their experiences that they have. It's what we do with those experiences. What do we do to implement effective policy? What do we do to raise awareness? It really has to be top down. We need our leadership to actually say, that these issues exist. We need people to start using the word racism because I think the word racism is often, we, we, we void it. And so we have to name discrimination as we move forward as well. Um, today, there's a launch of a, um, a, of a system where you can, where, where you can input um, your experiences in an anonymous way. I know that uh, Minister Simon Harris is launching that today. This is a huge step for us mm. um, uh, in the university system. Universities are supposed to be places of learning where we mm. we take the experience of those who've come to us from all over the world to bring their expertise into our university. Mm-hmm. 
I find it quite shocking that we don't value those people for mm. coming mm. halfway around the world to teach our people. But am I unusual yeah. in that feeling? No, I hope not. I'd like to think that we're all on the same page as you, um, to, to think that, you know, diversity is, is, is something beautiful. But we have to remember that a lot of people don't like change. A lot of people don't like, um, you know, uh, moving out of their comfort zone. We've got a lot to learn from people who are different from us. I mean, am I... A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Only experience tells a, 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 that very positive story. My parents came from Pakistan, as you know, in the 1960s to the UK and settled in Glasgow. You know, I was... I'm this dazzling mix of what would be understood as Pakistani and Scottish and now in Ireland. You know, I just came back from a trip in Bosnia-Herzegovina where most of the people over there kept saying, to, calling me the Irishman. And I was just like, wow, this is the first time I feel such an acknowledgement that, that, that I'm, being, I'm being referred to as the Irishman. So, again, it all depends on your perspective and how you see uh, people who are different from you. And I'd like to think that we're, we're on a good track. We're on a good road. I'd like, I want to bring something positive. I mean, the report is really painful to read. Uh, there, are, there is case upon case of people saying, you know, some really horrific stories. I'd like to think that we, we today we can, we can take some time to support and strengthen those individuals who have been triggered. I think yesterday was a very triggering day for the people who have been, um, uh, uh, who, who have received racism well, well, in well, our What it universe. certainly does is verify the yeah. things that the likes of you have been saying to us, Amon, for quite some time. Lastly and briefly, your, your, your yes. minorities caucus, how is that going? Yes. I'd like to, I have made a call that, I, you know, the, the, that what we need is we need to have solidarity, we need to have coalition, we need to have allies, but we also need to find strength with those who we can relate to in a, in, in a way that it might be different than others. So I think 
There should be at universities, there needs to be what I would call a black Asian minority ethnic um, caucus in order to, to strengthen us, in order to say that, you know, we're together. There's too many individuals that contact me and say, I don't find a support network. I find a lot of white allies, but there are certain things that I need to do um, on an insider. And that's not to create division. It's to say that we're all in it together, but we can be equal but different. And I think mm. that will that will help enhance that we can that we can bring together that diversity. So um, up and down the country now, universities. I mean, the the statement yesterday was that higher education institutions, universities, racism and countering racism is firmly on the agenda at mm. every single university. But it's about strengthening the capacity. Um, and, and solidarity with those who are on the receiving end because it's very difficult mentally and physically to deal with this day in, day out. Very finally, and I know you have a meeting to go to, I won't hold you too yeah. long. Do you think it's time that, based on the findings here, there mm. seems to be a very definite pay differential? Should that be investigated further? It should be. We need to find out why that's the case. There has to be a, a mechanism to, 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 to make sense of that. But remember, all of these issues are connected in some way on how we perceive the other, and that affects lots of things. I've said this many times, um, you know, people make up a very quick um, idea um, or a conclusion just based on a name. So think about how people get hired, and then once they're in a system, how they get promoted, who gets permanent uh, positions. I, was, I still believe that one of the reasons why I have been a success is because I don't have a very Muslim sounding name. And I know from my conversations with many Muslims and I know with many other uh, black Asian minority ethnic individuals who have names that sound like the other people immediately draw a conclusion. My name sounds like I'm some sort of Portuguese prince or something and it confuses people. <laughs> so I think there's a lot. I, I, I find it fun and I sh I'm laughing, but I also remember Peter, I hold a lot of privilege as well. I have a permanent job. I do this, not I do this for those in order to lift others. I do this because I hear of PhD students, especially women of color, especially women who are, are, are finding it very difficult to, to, to you know, work through different forms of discrimination, firstly being a woman and secondly being a woman of colour. So I think it's really important to, to talk about this. Let's talk more about this. And, and, I, and I have to say that, that I want to thank you for, for allowing these conversations to happen for us locally, because let's build our local. Cork can make, be a beautiful place. I still have so much hope for what's happening and, and I'm inspired by what happens at the university every single day. Right. Great to speak with you, as always, on the Opinion Line, Dr. Amanola this Sunday at uh, UCC. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. MIG.ie. Coming back to the Neffert and what they're going to, what they've said to Cabinet, and we'll find out at lunchtime what's going to happen. That Cabinet meeting, we believe, still going on. It looks as if the nightclubs may well open this weekend. That's what seems to be coming out, but there will be possibility of reduced capacity, which means some of them won't open anyway. And certainly we'll have to have our COVID cert or our COVID pass going in and our ID 
going into any kind of a nightclub Saturday, Sunday night of the Jazz Weekend, any of the late venues will require us to have a pass and require us to have ID. And according to what's coming out, uh, the Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Hulohan, has said that those passes must stay in place until at least the end of the year. And that indeed the restrictions on social distancing and numbers and all of that need to stay in place until the springtime. According to Joe, Neffet needs to take a cold shower and vanish into thin air. They're nothing but a pack of chancers who are only interested in their own voice and not in the public. Thank you, Joe. With reference to the rise in COVID, have people noticed the shops and other places no longer fill up their sanitizers? Yes. A friend of mine was shopping in Ballincollig in the last few days. Three shops had sanitizers that were empty. Yes, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Some places are really good. Some places are dreadful. A few more have come in. Jerry, Jerry says, children are vulnerable at school to catching COVID as they have no protection and are at this time then bringing it back into the family home and the local community. Government needs to reintroduce all safety measures in schools and in addition, primary school children should be wearing masks. It's bewilderingly incompetent and grossly neglectful of government that the wearing of masks for school children has not been introduced to date while we have soaring COVID numbers. Well, HICWA, the uh, health quality people, they said that they didn't advise masks for children in schools. So that's where that decision came from. I mentioned Joe Shea from Cork Bio being on Clareburn last night. And I know Joe and I've been on many a radio show and many a television panel with Joe and he was surprisingly forceful last night for Joe. Uh, he, he was on Clareburn and John says he was very inflammatory talking about those who don't believe in vaccinations. He was using phrases like cult-like, locked out of society, make lives as complicated as possible. We can't have you in our spaces. Firstly, says John, last time I checked, he didn't own any spaces. Secondly, is RTE seriously going to bring broadcast debate down to the level of Twitter debate with this carry-on? To be fair to Claire Bourne, she did press him on whether he was actually calling for mandatory vaccination by default. He did concede this was not desirable, but he did say their lives should be as awkward as possible. I think if the matter is going to be debated, it's incumbent on the national broadcaster not to have this level of exclusion and language in the discussion. I have to say, John, in terms of what Joe was saying about making life complicated for those who simply refuse to get vaccinated, I completely agree with the man. I have to say, absolutely, completely agree with it. I have no problem with the premises that says no vaccine, no entry. And I'm sorry, I don't. You can hate me for it if you want. But then someone else says Joe's anger is in the wrong place. The reason we can't lift restrictions is because our health service sucks, not because of a small minority of unvaccinated. The unvaccinated are just being used as a scapegoat. Well, if you go back to my conversation about mats and Deer- with Dermot before 10 and do the mats, the number of unvaccinated people in our ICU is proportionally enormous compared to the number of unvaccinated. It's just a fact. And anybody who's just refusing, for the sake of refusing to have a vaccine, I wouldn't have them in my pub or my restaurant. Sorry, I wouldn't. Can we just talk?
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Wild Youth are set to play a special Halloween show at Sea Church in Ballycotton on Sunday, October 31st. Fancy dress is welcomed and there's a limited amount of tickets for this one so you've been warned. Access all areas. The writer and star of the hit TV show The Savage Eye, David McSavage, is one of Ireland's most popular comedians. His cutting commentary and performances cover all aspects of life and nothing is safe from his truths. You can catch him when he returns to Cork for a show at City Limits this Saturday night. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on side. On Cork's 96FM. This time last week, we were waiting on the delivery of the budget uh, between ministers... Um, Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath and then the following morning of course we were going over the coals of of the budget and I mentioned to you that one of the most comprehensive in fact from my reading the most comprehensive summary of the budget of all of the ones I got was uh, sent to me late on budget night by uh, our good friend money doctor John Lowe. John good morning to you. Good morning, Peter. Thank you very much indeed for that introduction. <laughs> I, 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 I sat here with it. I said, gee, he's, he's missed nothing in this. And, and it, I, I've kept it, actually. I've kept it to, as, 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 a, as a, 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 if you like, a go-to. But what I want to talk to you about is the expenses for people working from home. It's kind of in the small print, but it's there and people are not really availing of it. I think it's more apathy than anything else, PJ, that people do not apply for that. Um, kind of, you know, at the moment, for instance, uh, employers, if they're good enough and if they're kind of, they can give their staff who are forced to work at home three euros twenty cents a day. Uh, that's tax-free, by the way, up to three euros twenty cents a day. If they give over that, it's taxable. But if you just take the three twenty on its own, that's only equivalent to seventy euros a month. So it's not a whole heap. So what came in? I mean, you could have uh, also, uh, you know, claimed ten percent of your heating and your lighting up to this point. But uh, last Tuesday, uh, the the government came out and said, look, you can get from next January thirty percent, and uh, it'll be, uh, you know. Based based on your electricity, your heating, and also your broadband. So that's a substantial uh, move, in, in particular when you see the previous week, um, we had all the energy providers increase their rates substantially. I mean, the lowest rate, PJ, was uh, Electric Ireland at 9.3%, that they were the lowest. Mm. And is this as simple as if you're working from home, you can take your electricity bill and write a proportion of it off against your taxes. Is it as simple as that? Is it as simple as that? Not quite, but you're getting there. It is vouched expenses. So what you have to do is you have to send in uh, to your, your your tax office. Uh, it is revenue. So you'll, you, you know, for, for the 1st of January uh, 2022 to the uh, 31st of December next year, you'll put that in. Um, the following October, believe it or not, even though it's a long, it might seem a long time away, um, but you you'll be claiming that you'll be getting your vouch. So if you have, I don't know, you know, you've got six electricity bills, 
and say each one was uh, 200 euros each. So that's, you know, 1,200 and 30% of that is, is 400 as such. So if you are working five days a week and you've got a note from your employer saying, yes, you have to work from home because uh, we don't want you in the office. Right. Uh, and, right. you know, you, you then send in those six uh, kind of vouchers on that, either Form 11, Form 12, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but you can go to my account on revenue, you know, your own tax uh, account, and you can get a lot of this information there, but you can also apply and, and communicate with the tax office. Yeah, because it can be complicated to understand some some of the tax right. benefits available to us, um, unfortunately. But it's like anything. It's like you know, even making wills, PJ. Uh, it sounds complicated, so people just put it in the, on the long finger, as they say. But it is worse. It's better in your pocket. It's like you know. Um, you know, people who get these little discs for their local supermarket, uh, which is a discount for a few pennies. Every cent counts. And we're talking about getting value now. And value means that we go for everything that's out there, that's available, that's going to be better in our pocket than leaving it not in our pocket. Okay. And this is certainly one of them. This is definitely one of them. Okay. Okay. John, is the yellow book coming out this year? <laughs> of course. Uh, thank you again for the, for the plug. Well, it, it's out uh, mid-December, uh, the 17th edition. There's lots of things in it, actually, uh, including uh, there's a chapter for transition year students. Would you believe that, PJ? Because last month I gave out 2,900 books, physical books, to um, 2,900 students, sadly only in South County, Dublin, because I couldn't get right around the country. But next year, from January 2022, 60,000-plus transition year students will get that ebook for free um, uh, next when they start the academic year 2022 um, but the thing about it is that that's why I'm putting in, in a transition year uh, kind of chapter for them as well this all by the way came about from my son and my lad he's now you know in his early 30s but um, my son at 19 years of age he'd never failed an exam in his life and uh, he's in UCD doing B&L and he says dad what's an overdraft right <laughs> yeah there you go there you go that's the kind of thing we should all be learning in school and we're not thank you John John Lowe Money Doctor he's uh, author at moneydoctors.ie is the website and it's I, I shamelessly plug his book every year because it's a book that has saved me and my family money over the years he's been bringing it out the Money Doctor Guide to Finances the yellow book it'll turn up on all your bookshelves in December thank you John 1850715996 can we just talk the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group call in person or call them now they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie what you mean? Got my eyes on a prize, that's me. Manchester City are the champions. Number one, that's top of the league. The best football league in the world is right here. Firmino with the flick. Salah! Fernandez, he's going to go for goal. Oh, what a goal. The Premier League Live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. The Premier League Live With Now Your sport on your terms Stream only the games that matter to you most With Now Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie Or download the Cork's 96fm app 
The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850 715 996. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 996. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Reminding you that as part of Irish Music Month this October, in association with Hot Press, Cork's 96FM is committed to supporting and discovering new Irish music. And this Sunday from 6 on our Select Irish show, it's the final of the Cork's 96FM Local Hero Talent Search. Now, the finalists were named last weekend. They are Helen Murray, T23, Fintan McCahey, Conor O'Keefe and Mally. And they'll bat that out for a place in the national final against 24 other acts. The overall national winner gets €5,000. Their single will be recorded by Ruby Wax or Ruby Works Records and they get guaranteed radio play on 25 stations across Ireland and the Corks 96 FM finalists will perform live from Cypress Avenue this Sunday from 6 and then the winner will be revealed it's Irish Music Month on Corks 96 FM supported by the BAI Sound and Vision Fund and XL Retail offering a great deal more at your local store 1850 715 996 and speaking of music we're talking about mindfulness in schools and you know helping children with their mindfulness skills and there's a a great program called the Ease Project which brings together music and mental health to address the anxiety epidemic in a way that's meaningful and engaging for young people now the anxiety epidemic not my words, they're the words that are printed on the easeproject.ie website. So let us bring in Boris Hunker from the Ease Project. Uh, Boris, that's my first question to you. You believe there is an anxiety epidemic among our school kids. Good morning. Hello there. Um, well, yeah, the, uh, when we set up, it was, it was back in 2018, and so it was a slightly different times from where we we are now but even in those times we could see there was uh, a real spike amongst young people around anxiety um, more so than in other sectors of the population and as a I work as a musician but also a psychotherapist and I was seeing a lot of effects of these coming through a student level through you know, substance abuse and self-harm uh, where we are now obviously post post pandemic um, for a bed which is down on yesterday's 57 Beg your pardon, beg your pardon there, Boris. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, <laughs> no worries. Um, obviously, since since COVID uh, erupted, the the situation is is probably magnitudes worse. In that, uh, whereas before the the anxiety levels were fairly the the scales are fairly sort of stable amongst other parts of the population. Now, obviously, we're seeing we're seeing a a rise across the board. So the, the situation's worse than it was even when we first set up. Yeah. In, in your work as a psychotherapist, you saw some worrying behaviours among among teenagers in particular, I think. Yeah, it was, uh, I was working with, um, I was working with students uh, in, in student um, counselling services and seeing huge, huge levels of self-harm and substance abuse behaviours which tracked back to their teenage years. So then the thought was, well, rather than trying to deal with it, behaviours which might be going on for five years or so, what can we do to to sort of prevent to prevent the activities taking root, and how can we actually 
tackle this at that earlier teenage age rather than waiting for it to become um, the problem it was becoming in, in early 20s. So how does the Ease Project work? You bring music into schools and you use it to teach mindfulness. Obviously, it's more than that, but how does it work? Well, it's, yeah, I had two, two sort of careers, one, one through the psychotherapy and one through music, especially running a music program. I ran a music, run the music generation program in Limerick City. Mm. Um, and through that, I saw the impact that bringing musicians into, into classrooms, secondary schools, national schools had in terms of levels of engagement because if you're if you're there as a musician then you're not there as a teacher there's all, already sort of excitement there and so you've, you've opened some doors of communication which otherwise are harder to to open so basically it was bringing these two things together by using the power that music has as a way of communicating non-verbally and the power musicians have to engage directly with young people mm. to to sort of help deliver the the mental health messaging and and sort of provide some tools and understanding around around anxiety and related issues what is it about music boris that empowers a teenager or any child indeed to talk about what's on their mind <laughs> There's something about the, because obviously most songs and most music teenagers listen to have the verbal element, so you've got that, but there's something very powerful about the non-verbal. I think it goes back to a really primal place of why music developed initially is there's something emotionally direct about music and the words from the sort of front bit of our head, for want of a better word, is is important, but the, the music taps into the emotional system in a very direct way and therefore it allows a sort of much wider and deeper place of communication rather than just using the words by themselves. Also with, with teenagers, they identify a lot with, you know, as part of their growing up and growing growing away in the sort of music they're choosing, they're making their own choices much more than maybe they were a few years earlier. So how does a session work when you come to a school? <laughs> so what we do is, uh, say it's been, uh, we're just getting back into the swing of it uh, as as things reopen. But uh, the basic model is we we work for a day, either for a full day with a group of kids, or maybe for six over six weeks for shorter periods. We have a large inflatable tent, which we set up in a hall or a gym, which creates a sort of separate space. Because once once you're in a school, you're dealing with all everything that represents. So to create a different space is important. Uh, and then with, with the musicians, we tend to have a mix of, of singers, uh, guitarists, rappers. Uh, we introduce ourselves musically. And then we, through the music, we start introducing elements of, of you know, talking, expressing your feelings, understanding the feelings we have. And then as the session goes on, we move towards tools people can use to, uh, to actually help if anxiety is becoming a problem for them. Do, do do they create their own music within the workshop and is that how they express themselves? That's certainly a big part of it. Um, that uh, creating music is, is such a vital self-expression which, which everyone can do, but a lot of young people, a lot of all, everyone initially thinks that they can't, but it's, it's a really direct universal mechanism we have for expressing ourselves. Uh, we tend to start off through listening to other people's music, either live in the room or recorded and then move on to the to making their own music. But yeah, that's always a big part of it. Something I've noticed, Boris, over the years in my own work, my own life, is young people and, and music. Some of the quietest and most, if you like, underspoken youngsters 
are often the ones who express themselves through the most brilliant music. Is That's not a mystery. There's an explanation for that, is there? Well, it's, it's, back, to, it's back to this expression. People who can people who find it very easy to verbally express themselves, um, that's the sort of most easy default for them to use. But for people who might find it harder for a whole myriad of reasons to to express themselves in that way, they therefore can get drawn and become incredibly adept in, in nonverbal ways. And music's one of the key key ways in which we can do that. Okay. Where can people find out more if they want to bring the Ease Project to any particular school? The, uh, the easeproject.ie is our website, and that has contact information. The, the program works. Uh, we've discovered it works best with TYs, both in terms of scheduling and also TY students have the, have the, sort of the, the ability to reflect and, and sort of take something really useful out of it. It's, it, it, it's an another, if you like, it's another endorsement of tradition tr- transition year for for those who would say it's just a waste of a year. It's it's far from that, as we've learned through various things over the years. No, very much so. I mean, my own daughter's just in going into um, transition year now, and I'm sort of seeing it from the other side. I think it's a really vital time for uh, young people to be able to actually just take a step back and sort of find themselves and, and assess and also have a bit of a laugh, which is super important as well. All right, OK, listen, good to talk to you. That's Boris Honka from the Ease Project uh, for Music Generation Limerick. Remember the Music Generation? I remember going to the launch of it here in Cork a few years ago. It was set up initially by, by U2. They put an amount of money into it uh, quite a number of years ago, and I think they actually still support it on an annual basis. Thanks, Boris. 1850 715 Getting back to the Clare Burns show last night and talking about uh, Joe uh, and what he was saying about unvaccinated people and all that. Someone says here, uh, Nigel Farage was very rude on Clare Bourne last night. Nigel Farage is always very rude. That's Nigel Farage. You know, he's the most magnificent communicator of his political generation. But he's just a Nasty little man. Uh, Collis says, I got the bus yesterday. A young man in his 20s got on not wearing a mask. The driver didn't ask him about wearing it. I spoke to the driver and he said the hassle they're getting trying to enforce the measure means sometimes they just think better of it. It's very widespread in Cork. The young people don't wear them and an amount of the pensioners have them not covering their nose. You also see people wearing a mask, boarding and alighting from the bus, but they take it off when they're seated. What's the point of the government making all these rules if they're not enforced? It only takes the odd person to spread the disease. The type of person not wearing a mask may also be the type who'd engage in activities increasing their risk of contracting the disease. It'll be the same with fireworks. The guards can educate and encourage all they want, but they or somebody also has to be doing some enforcement. There are people, it's worth pointing it out, there are a small number of people who physically cannot wear a mask. That's just a fact. But when you come on a bus or a train or anywhere or into a shop, uh, a person asks, why are you not wearing a mask? I can't. Fair enough if you can't. But show me you can't. I'm sorry. You need to prove that. I just want to say I endorse what Joel Shea said last night, says Marie. I actually thought Claire Bourne was unfair to him and tried to box him in on a slightly different topic where he didn't want to go. That was where she was saying... Uh, would you into mandatory vaccination? And Joe was saying, no, that isn't where he wants to go at all. That's not what he's saying at all. 
what he is saying is that for those who refuse to be vaccinated, who could well be vaccinated, but refuse to be, that life needs to become tough for them, that they can't go to certain things, they can't go to certain places, they can't do certain things. People like Novak Djokovic won't be let play in the Australian Open if he's not vaccinated and good on the Australians for that. Choices, as Kevin says, choices have consequences. That's what Joe was saying. Also, says Marie, there's a town in West Cork where a leading restaurateur is proud of the fact that, quote, no visitor will be asked for vaccine certs by any hospitality here. The sad fact is he's right that no one will be checked. The government is well able to enforce the smoking ban. Why can't they enforce that measure? Hi PJ, read the no sanitizer in shops. Let them know if they're empty. And if they don't comply, don't go back in there. Yeah, I've also been noticing the shops that are better than others with sanitizers. Um, I particularly like, and I say this straight out, I particularly like Aldi. Aldi's attitude to sanitizer, sometimes it's like a big flipping gallon drum with a pump on it. And you nearly get a great to get a fine fistful of sanitizer when you go into Aldi. 1857-1599. I think it could be the nail in the coffin as far as dancing with the celebrities and celebrity dancing with Ding Dong shows are because it was the lowest ever viewing figures of Strictly, uh, of, of a Strictly Come Dancing over the weekend. The series kicked off amid a load of COVID crisis yeah. issues because two of the professional dancers refused to get the vaccine. So what they should have done is make them dance in hazmat suits. That yeah. would have been brilliant. <laughs> dancing <laughs> with the SARS. Casey <laughs> and Ross in the morning with no DC cars Blackpool for Skoda in the city. A long-standing tradition in Cork. Open 24-7 at NoDC.com. Cork's 96FM. Probably annoying people who are among the 300 and something thousand who are refusing to get vaccinated for no good reason. I appreciate I'm probably annoying them by saying I agree with Joe Shea. I don't care. I do agree with Joe Shea. 1850 We got a call from a listener who had a flight booked to the US and has no idea what's happening with regard to getting into the place if you're vaccinated or not. And the story has been updating itself in the last while. The Washington Post reports that international travellers who are fully vaccinated with mixed doses of approved vaccines will be allowed into the US after the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention updated their guidance. Travel restrictions will be lifted from the 8th of November. It is confusing. A lot of people want to go to America to visit loved ones, say at Christmas time, if they just want to go on a holiday to, to America, or they might need to go there for business. Fionn Davenport is the group editor of ITTN, Ireland's Travel Trade Network, and he joins me now. Fionn, good morning. Morning, PJ. What is the situation with getting into America? Because it seems complicated. Uh, well, thankfully, it's not as complicated as it was a week ago. So um, in September, on the 20th of September, the U.S. teased us all and said that the embargo 
uh, which basically banned most international visitors from visiting the United States, which has been in place since the 20th of March of 2020, was going to be lifted sometime in November. And that had all of us in, in, in travel journalism all kind of excited about, you know, a reopening. And then radio silence for three weeks, four weeks. And then just the other day, they announced, in fact, that no, that from the 8th of November, the borders were once more going to reopen to international visitors under two important conditions. One is that you had to be fully vaccinated, as you said, with a recognized vaccine. So you had to have the full dosage of whatever vaccine uh, is recognized by the CDC. And two, you have to provide a negative PCR test upon entering the United States. Hold so on. Under you those had, two you conditions, had to do both, Fionn? Yes. Yep. So testing requirements are still going to be in place. So even if you're fully vaccinated, they still require a test? Yeah. Yes, they will. Yeah, for the time being anyway. That, 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 that might be lifted early next year, but there's been no mention whatsoever. that there's, So there's still a testing regime in place. Um, and, uh, yeah. and it's PCR, so, not antigen. PCR, yeah. Mm. And where so, do you have to do it? Do you have to do it here before you go or do you do it there yes. when you arrive? No, you have to do it here before you go. So, for, and, and, uh, and this is really, really important. I mean, on the one hand, it's wonderful news because as you said, there are so many Irish people who are desperate to get to the United States to visit loved ones or just to go to the United States. But equally, there are lots of Irish people who are on visas living in the United States who want to return and now will be able to return to Ireland for Christmas and not worry about not getting back into the United States because that's been the situation until now. Um, And uh, so even though there are these kind of testing requirements in place, it is really, really important that you have all of your documentation. I, I traveled on a, as a travel journalist, I was given an exemption. So I was in the United States three weeks ago Mm. And it absolutely broke my heart to see at the airport a woman who didn't, an American woman who's, who was looking to go back home, who didn't realize that she needed to have a PCR test, was denied boarding by the airline because she didn't have the required documentation in place. And there was literally nothing the airline could do. They were like, I'm sorry, we just can't, we can't let you on the plane. So you need to have all of your testing documentation in place before you travel. But broaden it out a little bit, Fionn, with regard to travel, and I'm one of the people, I imagine there are thousands like me, who has been on the usual sites booking myself a holiday for July of 2022 and excited for it already. Heading into Mm. 2022, restrictions, requirements for double vaccination, requirements for testing, are they going to change? And if not, where in particular are they going to be still very rigid? Well, okay. So, uh, <laughs> you really aren't joking when you said you want to broaden it out. Uh, that's, okay, that's a big, big question to ask. I'll say in summary, so for the popular destination for Irish visitors, so Europe, the United States, and in some cases the Far East, places like Thailand, yeah. and then onward to Australia, you, if you aren't vaccinated, you're going to have a hell of a time trying to get into these places. It's just you are making a rod for your own back. And that's just a simple fact. Even though countries might necessarily require you to be vaccinated, 
they make the testing requirements so onerous and so expensive is that it's going to add a considerable cost right. to travel. So that's number one. Um, there are there will be countries like, for example, we've had the EU COVID pass has been in place since June. So most people in Ireland, even if they haven't traveled, are familiar with the concept because all vaccinated people have one. If, um, so you're going to need that to get around Europe. There are countries like, for example, in Italy, just last week, introduced a new requirement that said you cannot go into indoor spaces without showing your their equivalent of our COVID pass, which is called a green pass. Hmm. Um, so and there's a, will our my, COVID pass, you know, the ones you, the one you store on, yeah. your phone, will that work for yeah. that purpose? Yes. Yeah, okay. that's the good news. Absolutely. It'll be recognised in the United States. It'll be recognised eventually in Australia when Australia allows international visitors back in early next year. Um, at the moment, Australia has reopened, but only to returning Australians. Um, and Australians are, can now travel. But international visitors, it'll probably be January, if not February, yeah. before they're allowed back in. And the good news is, is that whatever, whether you got the Pfizer, the Moderna, or the the, the other one, <laughs> I can't, the AstraZeneca, yeah. um, you, those, that COVID passport will be recognised. Yeah. Actually, something came up over the weekend, just chatting with friends, a very popular destination for the Irish and indeed all year round is of course the Canary Islands which are outside of the EU. Are they taking our COVID pass? Actually okay so one is is they're not outside the EU but I know what you mean. They have their own jurisdiction. Yes that's what yeah. Um, they're, yeah. yeah, yeah they're part of the Spanish territory so but you're right they have they because Spain is this <laughs> like one of the things I didn't even realise this until the pandemic started so each region in Spain is more or less self-governing That's on right. a host of things, including COVID restrictions. So, for instance, you could be in Andalusia down in the south where Malaga is, and it would have its own set of COVID restrictions depending on the size of the town you were in. So you were in a little village up in the mountains. It had one set of rules. But if you were, say, in Malaga City, it had an entirely different set of rules. Yeah. Those rules might be entirely different in Barcelona or in Madrid. And so it is with the Canaries. Um, the Canaries are absolutely recognising the COVID passport, 100% without any fear, bother or trouble. Right, because that was a question that came up over the weekend in a conversation yeah. I was having. Like they're, they, yeah, they, they're part of Spain, but technically they're outside the EU and all this kind of nonsense. I said, like, I'll, I'll, I'll have a journalist on during the week. I'll check that one out. Fionn, thanks very much. But definitely the, the, the change for America is you must be fully vaccinated and you must have a PCR test. Can I just say, PJ, one last thing is if you are planning to travel, I'd say two things. One, if you have booked travel before November 8th, every airline flying to the United States will allow you to change that date without much more than just a nominal change fee. In fact, lots of them are saying you can change for free, literally up to three hours before your intended flight. And number two, can I strongly urge if you're traveling, say, on American Airlines or Aer Lingus, is to use the Verify app. Now, I'm not going to go in, but basically what it does is it gathers all of the necessary documentation that you need and gives you a green check. So when you travel to the airport, you travel absolutely safe in the knowledge that your trip is 100% going to happen, that you haven't gotten any document wrong or you're not missing anything. 
So it's a way of double checking that all your documentation is in place before you even go to the airport. And, and so I, I, I strongly encourage people who have, because it is a confusing thing, to be honest. Um, so if you haven't got that and you are planning a trip, yeah. I strongly urge people to download it. Now, do we still have a situation whereby in Cork, uh, Marion asks, if I want a PCR test to travel, I can't get one in the HSE testing centre. So where do I go? No. Do I go to a chemist? No. Yeah, so this is it. I mean, annoyingly, all over is this. I mean, this is another thing. I, 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 I have my concerns about the way the PCR or the testing system operates. So, for example, you can't get one for travel from the HSE, even though it's exactly the same PCR test for some reason. So you have to pay a private provider. And that is either go to a travel clinic or go to your GP who will then refer you to the appropriate. But you need you need to get a PCR test from a private vendor who is then licensed to issue a certificate or a fit-to-fly certificate, which is what the negative PCR test is. All right. Okay. Fionn, I'm sure we will speak again. Fionn Davenport, travel writer and the group editor of Ireland's Travel Trade Network. So if you want to go to America after the 8th of November, you've got to be fully vaccinated. You've got to have your COVID pass. But you have also have to have a valid PCR test, and that's going to be there for a while. 1850 opinion line on Cork's with the team. It's the Premier League live online with Now Stream Live Premier League action with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. And listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. Now, a regular uh, contributor and guest on the programme during the course of the pandemic, particularly the early days when it was so traumatic in the ICUs and in the emergency department was Chris Luke, Dr. Chris Luke. Chris was born in Dublin, uh, but has worked in Cork for most of his career as a consultant in emergency medicine. He retired from the ED for his own medical reasons a couple of years ago, but came back on the front line in 2020 to help in the fight against COVID-19. He's 62 now, and Chris spent a portion of his childhood in an orphanage in Dublin because his mum was unable to look after him. He was the child of a brief affair with her boss. Now, he told this story, or at least what he knew of it then, a number of years ago when his beloved mum died at the age of 99, and the story in more detail now forms part of his new book called A Life in Trauma. But a major part of that book also reveals how 10 years ago, when Chris Luke spoke out about conditions in the emergency departments at CUH and the Mercy, it brought a furious backlash. Much of it from within his own profession, a backlash that damaged him mentally and indeed physically. Uh, We met over the weekend to chat about the book, which is called A Life in Trauma. Dr. Chris, look, they say there's a book in everybody, but you have to pick the moment to write it. So why now? Yeah, well, 
You're absolutely right. I mean, thinking about this for, for, for years and years and years, and of course I come from a, a journalistic family. You know, my father, mother, uncle, grandfather were all journalists of, of different sorts. And I've always enjoyed communicating. I love lecturing. That's my absolute favourite part of, of medicine and, and my, my profession. And uh, I, I suppose in the heel of the hunt, it was the, I suppose, the crisis of 2011, you know, where I, I you know, I, 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 I muddled my words in, in on a radio programme. And as a result of that, you know, there was this kind of online pile-on. But it wasn't, it was by no means just online. I mean, I was getting abusive phone calls and letters. I had, uh, you know, disciplinary. Uh, action in the chief executive's office, or at least a, a sort of inverted commas inquiry into you know to, into my conduct on the radio, the national airwaves, and. You know, the, the most painful thing of all was the ostracism. I, you know, I was ostracised by huge numbers of general practice colleagues and, and trainees. And I think if you know me, you'll know that uh, I have always thrived on training and teaching apprentices. I mean, I've always loved to have nursing students, medical students, any kind of students, TY students, uh, in and around. I mean, I, I, I feed off their energy and their enthusiasm. And I think most older doctors and nurses and people of all sorts thrive having a young person around particularly if they're interested in, in what you're doing um, so I was you know blanked on streets and corridors and shops and uh, you know I was kind of no platform I wasn't invited to, to for example seminars conferences debates about the, for listeners you had just you'd spoken out in a way that you have always done Chris as long as I know you yes, speak out but yes. the timing was so unfortunate yeah. just outline that well people. what happened really PJ was that um Conditions, I mean, surprise, surprise, conditions in CUH in 2011 were absolutely appalling and unbearable. And what people may not have known is that I'd been a consultant for 20 years at that stage almost. And the conditions, the trolleys, as far as the eye can see, the misery all around for everybody. And above all, the difficulty in delivering the kind of really high quality service that people train to deliver. You know, the nurses and the doctors and all the other allied professionals in an emergency department. And it was incredibly difficult. So I had one particularly desperate day where there were people coming in with really, really long-standing problems with their shoulders and backs that they should ideally have gone to see specialists with. People waiting six, eight, ten hours in the waiting room of the old uh, CUH A&E department. Um, and there were people coming in, you know, as, as just it, it, the, I, I, some of the locums, you know, these doctors we have to hire in a short notice because we haven't got the staff. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd been told that some of them were seeing as few as two or three patients in an eight-hour shift. And of course, they're being paid handsomely for this. So, you know, I was at my absolute wit's end with all of this when I went on to the Pat Kenny show by invitation. And basically, he asked me, you know, so Chris, tell me what's going on in, in CUH. You know, what's, what's, what's causing all this uh, A&E overcrowding? Beyond the, the lack of beds that we keep hearing about, beyond that, what other things are causing it? So I basically let fly, and I, I particularly let fly clumsily because I'd just been given a notice that there was a major incident unfolding in Cork Airport, you know, that there was rumours or reports of, a, of an airplane crashing. This and was of course, the Manx 2. This was the Manx 2 air crash in 2011. And of course, by definition, I was going to be involved in any response to that. And indeed I was. And as I sat on the stage, you know, taking his questions, uh, you know, an alert came to me from CUH, you know, please come to CUH, you know, immediately. And... Um, 
So I just said, look, you know, it's not just about beds. It's also about, you know, people sending patients into the ED when they're not emergency cases. You know, I mean, the emergency department should and must be. If we're to try and sort it at all, it's got to be just for crisis, for accident, for an emergency, not for people who've had, you know, sore shoulders for years and years and years especially when they've got private cover and their family wants to send them to a private orthopaedic surgeon, which is what happened that the night before in CUH. And, uh, you know, we have to have young doctors who are capable of seeing more than, you know, one patient every three hours. And, you know, as director of training, director of postgraduate education in CUH and in Liverpool before that, you know, I've always said to our young trainees, who I think get very, very good training in Ireland, both in terms of the lectures and the books and the, and the teaching uh, and of course the experience but I've always said to them look we, we need you to see one and a half to two patients an hour you know that's the kind of metric so when I'm hearing of people who you know who are you know are locums and are being paid far more than the, the, the permanent staff and they're seeing one patient every two or three hours you know I'm, I'm sorry I just kind of I basically lost it with the stress and I said you know and we need to have youngsters and I said when I was a baby doctor and that was my that, those were the fatal words when I was a baby doctor and I can assure you PJ you know, last week on Twitter, I saw one first-year doctor describing herself as a baby intern. And I can assure you that low elderly doctors in the 60s and 70s often say, when I was a baby doctor... Adam Kay, whose books you may have read, yes. described himself as a baby doctor. Correct. It doesn't surprise me it's at all to hear It's an absolute normal thing in all professions. And I even said, when I was ba- a baby doctor, we used to be expected to see 10, 14, 16 patients a shift. You know, back... I admit, back in the ancient days of 1982, three, four, but still, you know. I, so anyway, I, I, so in a sense, I let fly, and um, I, I, I gave my tuppence worth, and I had to rush off, and I rushed straight to CUH, and I got involved in one of the busiest days of my career, clearing CUH so that we could bring in the casualties, then heading off down in, in a police car, guard a car down to the Mercy, where the Mercy had its busiest day because all the patients diverted from CUH had gone to the Mercy, and we had a hugely busy day, but we coped. And then I went to a funeral of a, of a, of a friend in, in Tipperary. I th- I'd completely forgotten the interview. And the next morning I, I opened my email and there was an email from the president of the Irish Medical Organization saying, Dear Chris, um, we've ha- our switchboard has been overwhelmed with calls complaining about you and what you said about young doctors and GPs. And uh, I was taken aback. And interestingly, the, 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 the previous president of the IMO, my a great friend and colleague, said... To, you know, defended me immediately. He says, but is there anything that Chris Luke said that wasn't the truth or accurate? To which the answer was sort of no, but he shouldn't have said what he said the way he said it. So that's what I was stuck. And then he, over the next day, week, month, year, I was blackballed effectively. I was sent to Coventry. I was ostracised, whatever you want to call it. The, the junior doctors were saying that I had called them baby doctors and implied that they were lazy, which of course I hadn't. I'd said it was the locums that we were having to employ who were seeing two or three doctors and by the way often spoke little or no English and what I said about the GP I said some, a small number of GPs will insist on sending non-emergency long-standing cases to the ED at the emergency department at CUH and the Mercy even when they must know that it's bedlam there and the elderly are having to wait 10, 12, 18 hours because of the overwhelming numbers. And that's really what I said. I said a small number. 
uh, were you know sending patients to the emergency department and, and you know and, and that is remains a, the fact it's a small number and it remains the locums I was concerned about and all the detail of that is is in the book it it, it hurts you physically and mentally and did, is that what led to the burnout Chris that you had because we talk so much on the program and have talked about burnout you've been there it's an illness it's not just being knackered Yes, it is. It's a, it's as I say in the book. It's it's a, it's an incredibly interesting illness unless you have it. But actually, the WHO have defined it as a workplace-related illness. So that's absolutely crucial. It's related to the workplace. And no, it didn't cause the burnout. I'd had burnout for years. I'd had burnout in in the late nineties in Liverpool with the gang warfare. You know, opening up gangsters, taking bullets out of gangsters. You know, the heroin. You know, huge levels of violence, drink, poverty, you know. So, I mean, I was really worn out by that stage. And I had a couple of other crises, you know. I'd had a kind of panic attack on stage in front of all the, the surgeons of Ireland, which had been really traumatic, but I had gone on. But what was so devastating about the situation on the radio there in 2011 was that my entire career, PJ, has been built on being a likeable, popular and kind person I have, I, I've always preferred I mean I've said it it's a, it sounds a bit like a bizarre weird cliche I have always preferred love to loot um, I'm regarded as some kind of eccentric you know for that reason but I pride myself on being kind and I, I will say the one thing that has kept me going is the love and affection of my patients and of my, of my nursing colleagues who have constantly told me you know, that I have been kind and I have made a difference and that has kept me going. But to lose the support en masse of so many youngsters and so many general practitioner colleagues, you know, I mean, my oldest friends are GPs and I was a youngster in our, in the worst conditions in Ireland in the early 80s when we worked every second night, every second weekend, got paid tuppence halfpenny, paid for all our own training and I had to leave Ireland because there were no jobs. So, you know, it was absolutely heartbreaking and of course the tragedy was I didn't know who was going to say hello and who was going to scowl at me. And even my, my, my wife was a medical rep going around the GP surgeries of, of Munster at the time. And sort of every second GP would say, oh, are you rated that, that you know, bleep, bleep uh, in, in, in Cork? And, you know, so that was indirectly uh, extremely cr- uh, crushing as well. I can see the pain in your face mm. as, you, as you tell me this story now. And as I said, it's all detailed in the book. Was this the time to tell that story in this detail? And was that the motivation for the book? Yes, and to be absolutely honest with you, I felt after t- I'd let 10 years go, it was the anniversary of the incident and two or three uh, friends kept saying to me, look, you've got to write the story, write the story, the tricky childhood and all the other sort of things. And, you know, ultimately it was Brian O'Connell, my, my great friend in RTE, my, who's, a, you know, my reporter friend, uh, who basically nudged me over the line in, in terms of doing it. And uh, I, I, I have him to thank, and I've said he's a lot to answer for. <laughs> Chris, you've always talked about the state of the health service. You've devoted your life to it. You, you, you point out its faults and failings in the book, but you also point out its positive elements. What do you make of our public health service now in 2021? Well, I hope that uh, as the years unfold uh, going forward and as the pandemic fades into distant memory and we learn to just you know add our coronavirus vaccine every year to the flu vax, I hope we look back on this time as a time of wonderful genuinely impressive solidarity 
uh, on the part of the people of Ireland, you know, of whom 90% are vaccinated. You know, just compare that particular metric with, with, the, with, with the similar figures all around the world. You know, there's less than 1% of people vaccinated in sub-Saharan Africa. That's a feature of poverty and, you know, disorganisation and, and, you know, corruption and, and, and a lack of investment in, in, in systems. In the, in the States, some of the numbers are absolutely woeful because of people's resistance and misinformation. So for all sorts of reasons, the vaccine levels uh, in Ireland are a reason to celebrate. I think the performance of the health service staff from bottom to top has been absolutely magnificent. You know, I've, 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 I've been in testing centres, I've worked at the front line, I have been to the HSE HQ repeatedly for very on business, uh, and at every level, the, 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 the solidarity, the pulling together, the consensus, the, 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 the unanimity, the unity of purpose, and the coherence and cohesion has been absolutely fantastic, and I think we should be incredibly proud of that. And even just within my own specialty, when I came back from the UK, from the NHS, um, following the sort of training that every Irish medic really sort of has to undergo overseas for a while, I had spent 14 years waiting for my job. Even then, there was only 14 consultants in emergency medicine in Ireland, about. Now there's about 100. And we have hundreds of brilliant medical students who are uh, intent on careers in emergency medicine. We have dozens of utterly brilliant trainees. And we have... Uh, you know, I, I, and it's not a word I, I bandy about, but we have a number of geniuses scattered around the state who are leading the way. In, and, and I don't want to embarrass people naming them in Cork, but we, I mean, Cork is now like a mecca for excellence in pre-hospital care. But once the pandemic is over, I want people to think we were able to collectively pivot as a nation and as a service of 100,000 nurses, doctors, ancillary workers, other professionals, and just devote ourselves to one purpose, which is to save the nation from this ghastly virus, this plague. I think that we should just apply the same sort of ambition and determination and devotion to improving frontline care. And we just need to get organised. I remember always my great tutor, my great mentor in Edinburgh, Dr Keith Little, who said the art of resuscitation is organisation and that applies for all medicine. First and foremost, it's about getting organised, identifying priorities and assigning tasks to everybody. I think we do that and we, we look back constantly for the next 10 years on how well we did and we emulate what we did in the pandemic will make an enormous difference to the quality of care for everybody who needs our health service. I've often mentioned to my listeners in passing over the last year and a half that one thing we have learned from this pandemic is there should be no such word as can't and we should apply that going forward in the health service. Do you agree with me? I couldn't agree more PJ, I couldn't agree more. Um, anything's possible and we have seen how Despite the fact that all the conversation in 2019 was about the failures, the deficits, the failings of the health service, look what we did in the subsequent two years. An incredible effort on the part of everybody. And when I went back to work in the Mercy last year and I got a phone call from Connor DC, who's now the professor of emergency medicine, but started out as my, one of my first interns. You know, 15 years now, here he is, and he rang me, he says, welcome home, Chris, he said. 
And I said to him, Connor, are, are you shattered? Meaning, you know, all the work that was going on to prepare the CUH and the Mercy for, for, for the, the, the onslaught. And he said, no, shattered. No, 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 no. He said, but I'm really excited. I said, I said, Connor, you know what? You are a sick person. But you know what? I'm really excited too. And we both roared laughing because that defines emergency physicians and emergency nurses. You know what? They actually love this stuff. Chris, thank you for always being available to the programme to speak to us. Yeah, PJ, it's an honour and a pleasure. And thank you, as I've written in my inscription in the book to you, thank you for listening when others wouldn't or couldn't. How could you not? Kind words and thank you so much to uh, Dr. Chris Lucan. Thanks to the staff at the Rochestown Park who were watching this interview going on in the corner and some of them were literally tiptoeing around so they wouldn't interrupt us on Saturday. Thank you for that and thanks to Chris. Just coming back to our first um, interaction this morning with the general public and that was poor old Margaret who had her bank account hacked and lost uh, 10 grand and she got it back. Thankfully, she got it back, but she was talking about the, the trauma she went through and how foolish she felt having hit a link. And we're saying, look, it's a perfectly legitimate looking link. But Connor says, PJ, those names on messages from the bank, they're just names that get entered from whoever is sending the message. There's no authentication. From my laptop, I could send you a message and have its ID set to Bank of Ireland, to your local GA club, to Tesco, and it'll appear in the thread from the legitimate messages says Connor. Thanks for that, Connor. You see, that's the thing that, you know, ordinary people wouldn't realise that. Um, poor Margaret got this message in her genuine thread of messages from the bank was this sneaky one in the middle. Just be extraordinarily careful. Thanks for that, Connor, and thanks to everyone who responded to Margaret's story because she was afraid she'd make a fool of herself. No, she didn't. She did a great public service by talking about it all. That's it for today. The programme edited by Fiona Corker and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. And we start doing this again. Can you wash your hands? Can you stick on your mask and keep a bit of space? And we'll all get through this. See you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odour control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.